0: Hello, and welcome to episode 126 of The Ethical Life, a place where each week we talk about the intersection of ethics and modern life. I'm Scott Rada, Social Media Manager for Lee Enterprises, and I am joined as always by Rick Kite, who is the head of the Ethics Institute at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Hello, Rick. Hi, Scott. Whether it's issues about health, money, or family, life can give us plenty to worry about. And like many things in life, worrying is probably not a bad thing in moderation. But for many people, excessive worry and anxiety can be paralyzing. Rick, I'm sure you don't think it's wise to simply ignore the problems in our lives. But how do we keep them from consuming our thoughts? It can be really hard to keep them from
1: consuming our thoughts, depending on what it is that we're worried about. Like there's, there's really significant problems that we might have that are pressing. They're, they're urgent and they're really significant that we have to spend a considerable time thinking about in order to figure out what we're going to do about it in order to make a plan.
0: I'm just going to interrupt you right now. Yeah. Thinking about things, in yeah. worrying about things, is there overlap there? Yeah. Sometimes we talk about, I'm really worried about something I can say
1: like, like, I'm really concerned about what's going to happen in the future, and I'm thinking, you know, and so by worrying about it, what I mean is I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So that's constructive. And so there's some kinds of worry that are constructive because they're, we, we'd say, they're episodic. It happens
0: now and then, They and, and I don't I don't just worry obsessively over it. And it can be motivational sometimes, right? Like yeah. If you just if you lost your job tomorrow, it you may need that motivation to go out and look for a new one. Yeah. So there's a
1: there's a certain amount of worry about things. It just that that is appropriate. It just means I'm concerned about what is going to happen in the future, and so there's appropriate amount of concern, and and there's appropriate kind of time for the concern. The key thing is that it's. It's constructive concern. That's that's kind of worry that you shouldn't worry about. But, but the kind of, I think what we're talking about really is chronic worry. Yeah. Where you just, and it's a, there's worry sometimes that is kind of free-floating fear that takes a form of anxiety.
0: Uh, yeah. Right? I, I was just going to say, I mean, and we've, we've talked on this show and there's been numerous things written that people report being more anxious anxious today yep. than, well, anytime anybody's ever really paid, since we paid attention to such
1: things. Well, since about 1990, yeah. we've been doing kind of regular studies on anxiety and it's been increasing ever since. Um, what, what we're noticing in the past 10 years or so is much higher levels of anxiety among young people. And that seems to be associated with uh, cell phone usage, cell phone and social media yeah. usage. The anxiety, increasing levels of anxiety over the past 10 years are not going up for the older generations. Like baby boomers, if anything, anxiety levels have gone down a bit in the past 10 years. So so when we talk
0: overall about anxiety going up, it's mainly young people. And I was saw a social media post the other day where somebody was writing very much from the heart about, the horrible things going on in the middle east right now but in but in that what they were writing said that they're having a hard time sleeping right now yeah. because of the problems in the middle east and, and as best i know it's not because they have a loved one who's still being held hostage or you know, a direct connection somehow to this. But th- I think in their mind that this is just an atrocity that the world is experiencing right now, and and they just think it deserves a lot of attention and a lot of thought. And And I think, I'll just assume this person is being honest and is truly losing sleep over this. And I just hear that, and I think it's great that you're compassionate, and have empathy toward what's going on over there because goodness knows it's, it's terrible, but there's so little that she or you or I can do about it. And, and, and that just seems to me to be unhealthy, but then people might hear me say, well, gosh, there's Scott, you know, all these problems in the world, you know, and that's just but one. And he's able to like shut all that out and just, uh, tune it out and, 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 and sleep just fine. And, and I just don't know if which of us is, is doing it right.
1: We, we don't want to be ignorant of what's going on, right? So, so naivete about bad things happening in the world, that's not positive. On the other hand, this concern that becomes actually quite abstract for us about what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on in Ukraine, What's going to happen to the to the future of the world? About like ongoing economic uh, disparities, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. If we don't have a plan for how we're going to address it, what we're going to do, uh, we're better off just kind of acknowledging it. Yeah, that's happening. This sort of thing has always happened in the history of the world. So part of part of the problem I find right now, especially among younger generations, is that they have expectations for I would say for social justice for for a condition in which the world should operate at which has never before existed in human history and then become quite upset and i find them talking to one another about how bad it is and how much worse it's going to get without any sense that but it's always been that bad like human beings are really imperfect and when we create for certain periods of times, conditions of relative peace and relative prosperity, that's a real achievement and it's something to celebrate when we actually accomplishing it, accomplish it. It's not something we should bemoan every time it fails. And so we've been enjoying for the past, well, really since World War II, this unprecedented time in human history relatively free of conflict in mm-hmm. the world. We have all kinds of people that have been born since that time. I'm one of them that doesn't really have an experience of warfare being kind of being the norm. And now we're seeing, you know, these conflicts erupt and people talking about, you know, escalation, escalation in Russia and Ukraine, escalation in the Middle East. And it's 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 a real possibility. Um but that's the way the world has usually been and so why lose sleep over worry that the world is going to be what it usually is.
0: Yeah, I mean unless you're Benjamin Netanyahu or somebody who really can Yeah, so yeah. if
1: like that's it's reasonable for yeah. somebody
0: involved in that conflict yeah. to be or, worried about what they're going to do or if you're being held, you know, God forbid held hostage and you're just trying to survive day to day, well, you got something to worry about and you might have
1: friends or family yeah. that are directly affected and you're worried like what am i going to do to help them out yeah. you might be involved in some kind of organization that's going to try to create more understanding or that's going to try to do some you know fundraising for refugees and you're worried about like the planning for it or something like that those are reasonable kinds of worries but just worrying about the state of the world that's not reasonable that and that what that, that actually does is it makes you less effective as a person because it's we, we talked about it has bad effects on your health, but it also paralyzes you. It makes, it makes it harder for you to be really engaged and active in a way that can actually do something positive going forward.
0: So it, we've spent some time talking about these you know, large global and extremely complicated issues that no one person on his or her own can solve. And especially uh like my friend who was losing sleep over this is in a position where I promise you she can't solve this on her own. But there are situations and in, in in worries we have that are much much closer to home. You know, yep. maybe, you know, relationships we have, um financial hardships we may be facing, health challenges that are that are affecting us and others we care about. Those are things that I think, I want to say are more appropriate to worry about, but maybe are a, are those a better use of our time to sort of, for us to figure out how we can fix or solve, or at least react to in the best way we know how?
1: Yeah, but try to do it in daytime hours after you've had a meal, not, you know, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. That um so there's lots of those things, but I think you know, like when you, you when you think of like what are the things that keep people awake at night? Mm-hmm. Generally, it's oftentimes financial worries. Yeah, and and those can be really pressing. And so, like you can have a situation where you like, you know, your transmission goes out. and You're like, you've got to come up with the money to pay
0: for it. And you, your job's t- thirty minutes away. Jobs are yeah. And the only way you're
1: going to do that is put it on a credit card, but then your credit card's going to be maxed out, and you know that you're not making enough to make payments to pay it back down. Yep. Right? Yeah. So then, what's going to happen if if something your furnace goes out, right? And then you, you you know you and and those things can just keep you awake at night and and really bother you. So there's a there's a kind of constructive worry in which you which you make a plan in which you say, okay, I've got these problems. I've got to figure out a plan for dealing with them and then make these small steps on a rigor basis so I can get through it. And where it's really debilitating is you're lying awake at night and you're, what you're doing is you're just imagining yeah. all the terrible things that can happen. And what happens then and, and, um, is most of those terrible things that you imagine that could happen actually don't happen. Right, And so you cause yourself all kinds of suffering through your imagining of the, what might happen. And it turns out lots of times saying, well, yeah, some of these bad things do happen, but then you're able to deal with them. right? And this is what we also fi- we find with chronic worriers is they suffer more in the imagining of the bad things than when the, f- the relatively few bad things actually happen. They find out, well, it's not that bad. Now I have something that I can actually deal with.
0: Well, and uh, I don't pretend to be the expert on Stoic philosophers, but mm-hmm. I did come across a, a philosopher named Seneca, who I'm guessing you're familiar with? Yeah, yeah. I was not, but um, is that a he or she? He. he yeah. I, are there any old, old philosophers who are she's? Like you know, from like that, whatever that well, era. is.
1: There, there are there are poets and and dramatists, but okay. really no philosophers. The only that we know of. Yeah, the only one who kind of comes close is there's a there's somebody that Socrates mentions okay. as being a midwife who was really influential on his thinking, and so uh, I mean, in a way, she could be called a philosopher.
0: Well, in this case, I'll say Seneca. He said Seneca, uh, quote we suffer more often in imagination than in reality. yeah. And I think that's what you were just saying though, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. 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 When you, when you worry too much, you suffer twice. You suffer at the anticipation and then you suffer the actual thing that happens. And, and it turns out you actually suffer more than twice because you imagine more bad happening than actually does if you're a chronic worrier.
0: And, and I mean, everybody handles such things differently. And I'm probably pretty lucky that I've had things in my life that I'm sure work great, but I, at least in the last last couple of decades, I'll say, haven't had anything that's come up that would qualify as sort of these transcendent life-altering things to worry about, and I'm certainly grateful for that. But on the things that are sort of a, a, a step below that, what I just find myself sometimes doing is thinking to myself, okay, so this is a possibility that could happen. You know, X could happen, and that X wouldn't be good. So if X happens, what will I do about it? And then I'll sit down and I'll think through, like, like, you know, pretty quickly, like, well, here are the three things I could do, and and that would at least make it somewhat possibly better. And, and then just uh, kind of, you know, Think through, does, does that all make sense, and kind of prepare myself if that worst case scenario happens. But then I just start like going through that. The mm-hmm. ten minutes later, I find myself okay. You know, just just to double check, Scott, if this happens, well, how are you going to react to this? And I come to that same, you know, three or four to do list of here's how, what, how I'd react, here's what I do, and and again, it, it, I I, I kind of have to remind myself that the. Your, your your solutions here came to mind in like a matter of minutes and I'm not a, the dumbest guy on the planet and that if if this does happen or if it happens in a slightly different way than maybe I'm expecting, I'll probably be able to, I mean, it may be a, a really bad thing, but at least like I don't, I, I just find myself like just worrying about how I'm going to react to it and what will I yep. do and how will I know what the right thing to do is and and I just have to remind myself that you know, I mean, these all seem like pretty good responses. And if it happens, I guess you're prepared and now let's just move on.
1: Yeah. And that's, in a way, that's a kind of classic stoic response because you ask you ask yourself the question for any situation you're faced, what is in my power and what's not? Yeah. And you said, well, well the things that are in my power are, you know, the actions that I can take, um, but also like the attitude that I can have, yep. you know, that sort of thing. And then you... And then you say, okay, those are the things I can do something about. Let me focus on those things. And then I'm not going to focus on worrying about what actually will happen. That's completely out of my control. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Uh, usually.
1: Usually. Like, I mean, I could, so for example, I, I can be taking a trip. I can be really worried that like, what if I get in a car accident? Yeah. What if the plane crashes? Mm-hmm. You know, it does me no good to worry about what, what if the plane crashes? I can't control anything about that.
0: and if it does, good luck.
1: Now worrying about being in a car accident, that might be in some ways kind of a good thing. Yeah, I might say, well it's it's winter, you know maybe if there's a big snowstorm going on, I should delay my trip a day until the roads are better. you know so that kind of worry about that says, okay, I have some control over the odds of some bad thing happening and maybe I should be more cautious. That's a good kind of worry because there's something under your control
0: there. And I also find myself, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who does this, of looking at a you know sort of the various realistic outcomes of a situation, and thinking to myself, okay, what's the most in you know what's the worst outcome in a reasonable way, and okay, so how would I deal with that? well, here's the two or three things I do in kind of the worst-case scenario. So if the worst-case scenario does happen to, ha- happen to happen, then I'm prepared. But like most of the time, it's not going to happen, and then what does happen just doesn't seem that bad.
1: That is something that Epictetus, the Greek stoic philosopher, advised people to do. He said, like, every day keep, keep like, injury and disease and uh, and death before your mind, because then, when those things happen, they will not upset you. <laughs> now, like what he meant by that? I mean, that makes that seems to kind of trivialize it. But what he means is like, go ahead and think about the terrible things that might happen, because bringing them out and thinking about them as real possibilities in our lives, that makes them in a way kind of concrete, so they don't stay, hidden in our subconscious, eating away at us. Because this is this is where chronic worry comes from when we have this kind of free-floating anxiety or abstract fear that we can't really get a handle on. And he says, you wanna get a handle on it. And once you put the things that you're afraid of out there, make them kind of concrete, then you can say, okay, they're there, yeah, those are possibilities um, that everybody has to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but also, I have to move forward and just live my life. Okay. So you, as we've said many times, you know much more about philosophy than I do. And But this is something, and I may never have shared this with you or on the show, but this is sort of one of my overarching philosophical ways how I look at life. And I, you might tell me it's just nuts or or what have you. But I, I, I honestly- I'll like, listen oh. to it before I tell you it's nuts. Ah. <laughs> so a hundred years from now, I'm not going to be around. Mm hmm. And I think, you know, and I mean, who knows, but I think it is quite likely that 100 years from now, not only will I not be around, that my impact on this earth will be rather minimal. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Well, 100 mm-hmm. years from now, maybe if somebody in the year twenty-one twenty-four is listening to this podcast because it was saved somewhere. Well, God bless you. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think anything I'm doing in my life today is so important or is so transformative that it's going to be remembered in any significant way. Now, in your case, you have children. They may have children. Those children may have children. And obviously, there's family trees that will yep. you know, go back to you. But outside of that, to me, knowing that a hundred years from now, anything I do today will be like almost of zero importance, gives me a great deal of comfort. And I think for some people, it'd be just the opposite. For some people, they'd be like, well, I'm living this life and like, uh, you know, hundred years from now, all this stuff I do, nobody's going to remember, nobody's going to care about, nobody's going to... To me, that's, that's just comforting. No, I... I have those same kinds of thoughts
1: quite regularly. I think it's a it's a good way of putting our life in perspective because then we say, okay, what I'm trying to do today, this isn't of lasting importance mm-hmm. unless it has some kind of unanticipated indirect effect in some way, you know, on somebody who knows, but those you don't even know if those effects are going to be good or bad. Yeah, right? So, Probably, you know, we're, we're all going to be forgotten. Everything that we do is ephemeral. So then what that I'm doing today, what is really significant? So then it helps us to refocus. Well, the quality of our relationships is really significant, mm-hmm. right? And um, the, the kindnesses that we do to one another uh, are really significant.
0: And so, that, won't be, that, that may be forgotten 100 years from now, but it'll sure as heck be remembered uh, a year from now
1: and and what makes it important isn't that it's remembered is that it's experienced now yeah so and it helps us refocus on like the importance of our everyday small interactions and I, I i think that's a good thing and and that's also a very stoic kind of response like focus on what you can control and what is going on now because every action every Everything that you do really is of infinite significance because it's actually happening right now. Not because it will have some future effect, but because it's having a real effect
0: right now. Well, we've talked uh, so far about, you know, I think it's true that in many cases, anxiety is increased. I guess there's two things I want to touch on before we go first and you mentioned this just in passing, but I think it's important to, 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 to go back at it, is that there have been a lot of people who have studied this issue, and it seems like the older people get, the less they worry. And I guess that's one nice thing to look forward to about getting older. And two, if you're right, and I, and I sure think you are, that people who are in their 20s today... I don't think they're going to, do you think they're going to continue that same level of anxiety 30, 40 years in the future? I, I'm guessing probably not. But So I'd be I'd be curious your thoughts on that and also why you think there is sort of this uh, easing of anxiety for many people as we age. And of course, you know, from, from a health standpoint, you have a lot more health issues in your 70s than you do in your 20s and 30s.
1: Yeah, we, and we know, for example, that um, anxiety is closely related to stress, and stress has all these bad, you know, health effects. Yeah, one of the things it's it's linked to higher rates of dementia, and so like living a lower stress life is really important. I think as we get older, um, I th- for one thing, one, one of the reasons that anxiety or is his, um and your anxiety and worry are less prevalent as you get older is because worry is future oriented and you have less future mm-hmm. right yeah and and so and worry is not just future oriented it's it's oriented towards future uncertainty so things that we don't know about that we imagine might happen as we get older our lives become more routine um and 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 in a way our lives become more predictable so we aren't as worried about uncertainties, right? We've also experienced more things and so even though like we have a better idea of how to predict what will happen. Yeah. So when you're younger, you have a lot of future in front of you and there's so much that can happen in the world that's going to affect the course of your life. And so especially when you're a teenager, you know, you really don't know what you're what kind of person you're going to be, what you're going to be doing and and so much of that is out of your control and so it's reasonable to say, like, yeah, you're going to have a lot more worries because so many things that you do at that age are going to shape your future, but you don't know how they're going to shape your future, right? Whereas, like, like I'm in my 60s. yeah, there's not much, you know, that I'm doing right now that's going to alter my future considerably.
0: And if you're lucky enough to be in your 90s, do you think you'll feel even more
1: that way? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Because it because it's future oriented, it just won't have that much future to think about. Uh-huh. Um but, but we know that that as people get older they ruminate more. Yeah. That is they think more about the past. Yeah. And sometimes they think more in unhelpful ways about the past. That's what rumination is where you just go over yeah, and over and over yeah. things that you like regret or you wish you could do differently. Young people don't ruminate. No. They have worries. Uh, older people ruminate instead. So
0: I mean, I guess that's and I and it's not like there's a switch one hits where one day you're more forward looking and one day you're more uh, looking toward the past. But I mean, maybe that's how you define what getting old is.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of and in middle life you get both, right? <laughs> right.
0: Um, so so if we, I just wanted to, to kind of close this topic by talking about some tactics that uh, I found in a story, and we'll certainly share a link to the, the full piece. But just, I wanted to see if you agree with some of these ways that the author Arthur Brooks wrote, and again, we'll link to his work. One, write your worry down. Do you think that's a good strategy to, uh, and so it's, so it's a little more uh, concrete and not just, maybe it helps you define the worry and maybe a little more, Right. Yes, because when a, when a worry becomes
1: a, a form of anxiety where it's this kind of free-floating abstract fear or concern you have, um, that's, that's when it becomes really problematic. By writing it down, you make it really concrete. You bring it, into, bring it into the forefront of your mind. And so instead of at the back of your mind, it's at the front, and then you can deal with it. And once you have something that you can actually deal with, in a way which you can see what the problem is, then it's a lot easier to figure out a proposal solution
0: and not lose sleep over it. And then the second piece, or second piece of advice is focus on outcomes, not problems. And I think that is sort of what you said, one of the benefits is to writing it down, right? Writing it down, yeah, you focus on
1: what could happen and and what can I do? Right about it, about those outcomes, rather than just the problems. We're we're talking about this the day after the Iowa Republican caucuses, correct? And 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 I had I remember people last night coming up to me that I knew that were really worried about this presidential election. And I know I know people that I know pretty well. Some of them are really worried about well, what if Trump gets elected, and others that are really worried what if Biden gets reelected, and both are catastrophizing, Mm -hmm. you know, they're thinking like, all these terrible things are going to happen. And it's just this kind of free-floating anxiety that does them no good at all except causes them to lose sleep. Because the big question is, so what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. It's not about what terrible things might happen. Yeah.
0: Because who would have thought when, you know, and I'm absolutely not blaming former President Trump for this. It was not his fault. But who would have thought when he got elected that by the end of his term, we'd be facing this horrible pandemic I mean you you nobody saw that coming really and and there it is so you just the point is you just never know what you need to worry about
1: yeah yeah you you really don't know what you need to worry about yeah. uh
0: on the list of four number three and this is something we haven't talked a lot about and I think the article does a little more but it is fight your superstitions and I think there are people who believe that a lot of what happens to them not only is out of their control, but is sort of I don't know, supernatural in power, sort of. I think this is this is something that's
1: really important for mental health. Not superstitions alone, but all the sorts of things that we're afraid of that cause us to in in irrational ways avoid certain kinds of behaviors, to face them and take steps that confront them and deal with them. So if we really are, you know, um, we have, you know, for some reason, we find ourselves, we're going down the sidewalk and we're avoiding cracks. Yeah. All right. Step on them. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, it's irrational. Yeah. And if you know it's, then the the, like, because the more that you then avoid the cracks, the more you're reinforcing this kind of irrational belief that then is going to kind of reside and grow in the back of your head. And so then if you're afraid of like sleeping on the 13th floor. Which
0: we talked about a couple we on the 13th episode. Then,
1: then, yeah, then go ahead and request the 13th floor. I mean, just do those things that's okay. I have this irrational belief. Who knows where it came from? It's just in my head for some reason. How do I get over it? I face it. And the, like the same thing if there's certain things that you don't like to do, like you're really afraid of spiders, Um well, if you know that about yourself, and I'm not saying you have arachnophobia or anything, it's mm-hmm. that you go nuts when you see, but, but you really don't like them yeah. and you're peaked yeah. out. Learn more about them. Yeah. Spend some time with them. Like, face your fears in small ways. So, like, all of these things fight your superstitions, but also fight your fears, fight the things that cause you anxiety.
0: And the final piece of advice seize the day. Yep. Live in the moment.
1: Emerson says he it's this wonderful phrase the days are gods our life is made up of days and this is all we've got and you, you and you've only got so many of them seize each one make each day important and and um in in by important we talked about this a little bit don't worry about like what is the lasting significance of my life mm-hmm. how do I make this day important how do I do something good how do I do something that I can feel proud of how do I make
0: some other person happy? And for some people, I think that that can mean doing something good for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus... You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for
1: the ones who get it done.
0: We end each show by tackling an ethical dilemma. Why do we always tackle these, Rick? I don't know why we tackle. I every time I say tackle. Yeah, let's run away from them, (laughs) Stan. How about that? Let's run away from this ethical dilemma. Well, we're going to talk about an ethical dilemma this week. Rick, what is your question for me?
1: You have a good friend who is generally a kind and easygoing person, but you've noticed that after having a drink or two, they tend to become obnoxious. And you find that you just don't like being around this person in social settings where any kind of alcohol is involved. So I'm wondering, what do you do in a situation like that? Do you do you tell this person, look, I don't like being around you when you have a drink because you become a jerk? Or do you say, yeah, do you just find excuse just not to be, not to spend time with this person in those kinds of settings?
0: Well, I mean, I think the answer is it depends on what the definition of good is. I mean, you said this is a good friend. And... Um, I think it depends on how well you know the person, how well you think he or she'll be receptive to what you have to say. And that and that's and that's tricky to know. Mm-hmm. Um because I, yeah, if it's somebody who you don't think will be receptive or who is not a good enough friend, yeah, then maybe you just start having going out to breakfast or lunch or put yourself in situations where the 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 likelihood of, of of a of a couple drinks coming out is is unlikely, um and and I th- so I guess really that and that's sort of the tricky part of sometimes of, of relationships is to yeah. know is this someone you know you've made this judgment about them and it's probably you're not the only person who thinks this but I mean who knows but how well do you know this person? And how, I guess that would to me is the first question. And then the second question is, if you feel you know the person well enough, you feel the person will be receptive. And that's hard to know in a hypothetical like this. But I think a lot of people's reaction would be that that is just a really fraught topic and they might try to just avoid it.
1: Yeah, because it, it would be very easy to avoid because it would be kind of difficult, difficult conversation. But i I have in mind somebody that you know pretty well. Mm-hmm. You've kind of a long-standing relationship yeah. with them. Um, otherwise, yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't bring it up to somebody that you don't know yeah. that well. Yeah. Right. But if it's somebody that you you've known for for a while, but yeah. you you might not know if they'd be receptive or not. So one part of the question is: Is it fine for you to think something like something? Like this, that really affects how you see the person and affects your judgment about
0: them. Is it okay to keep that hidden from them and n- not to let them know? It, of course, it comes back to the question of is are they harming themselves? You know, if they were doing, and I, I can't off the top of my head, think of something that would be more harmful. I'm sure there are things, but if you saw them in doing things that you thought put them in imminent danger, then yeah, I think you do have a higher. Right. Uh no, but they start yes. telling jokes that just yeah, aren't yeah, funny and yeah. they think they're the life and of
1: the it, party it, and, and they start talking too much. Yeah.
0: And like, so yeah, so it's it's obnoxious, it sounds like. Yeah. And I I guess I would like to think if I were in that situation where I'm also gonna assume that because I've noticed this pattern for at least a little while, that I'm not the one initiating these encounters. Because why would I? Yeah. So, but I'm, you know, obviously have been going on, oh, let's go out for a couple of drinks and then this happens and it happens a couple more times. And then I'm like, I don't want this to happen again. And so I would, I think I would try to get the gumption up to say something and and, and maybe do it, you know, obviously not in one of those situations. I'm, I'm assuming when this person's had a couple of drinks is not going to be the time to have this conversation but maybe say hey what are you doing next saturday let's go out to to breakfast and i would i would like to try to bring it up but again this is a topic that i think we both know can be very uh difficult for some people to talk about there's is alcohol is a something that people have uh odd relationships with at times and and i think you have to go into that conversation knowing that this there's the potential of this being Sort of the beginning of the end of this friendship.
1: Let me turn it around. Um, if you are the person whose your personality changes in ways that you don't realize, mm-hmm. and it's affecting the quality of your relationship with somebody else, would you want them to tell you?
0: Oh, I, or I not? mean, yeah. I mean, I, I I certainly would want to know. I mean, I'm I probably have two or three probably two drinks a month. So I would be surprised yeah. if it does affect me in any significant way. But um yeah, I, I would yeah, I would want to know. And I would want and I think I would want to know from someone or I want to hear it from someone who I feels knows me pretty well and has my best, you know, is telling me for the right reasons. Generally
1: I think by turning it around and ask how would we want to be Treated by somebody else, it gives us a better sense of what we should do. Yeah, but it still makes it really difficult but because also, we we don't know what it's going to do to that relationship. But I'll say why. I'll
0: I'll. I mean, I know that I what you just said there. But at the same time, like, and I think I don't think I'm making things up here. That this is. I mean, I'm not a perfect person by any stretch. But alcohol abuse is not something I not a problem I, I deal with. Thankfully, so. That's why I would be like, well, geez, of course, if somehow that were a problem, I'd want to know, because to me, this isn't an issue that I feel is uh, I've dealt with for a long time and have all sorts of emotional things tied up into it. If there if that were that issue, I might feel differently about it, possibly. I don't know.
1: I grew up around um, a number of alcoholics in my family. There's a lot of heavy drinkers but some of them and my my maternal grand grandfather was like a very affable drunk like mm-hmm. he would have a few drinks and he would get friendlier and and be actually very pleasant to be around and but there's other family members who weren't yeah um but i've also noticed you know just over the course of my life that there are some people who undergo a pretty significant personality shift after just one drink. Mm-hmm. They're not drunk by any means yeah. and I don't think it indicates a drinking problem, but it it certainly indicates a shift in their personality that they seem oblivious to. And that's what I was wondering like what's the responsibility there? Do you I mean you, hmm,
0: do you Again, I'm, I'm just—I can't put myself in that situation very easily. But do you think they're oblivious to it, or do you think they're, you know, like your grandfather, for example? Yeah. Which, you, you know, I'm guessing when he was had not been drinking, it sounds like he was a pretty quiet, maybe more introverted, withdrawn gentleman. And maybe when he had drinks.
1: no, he was—he was a friendly, talkative person. He would just oh, get oh, okay. maybe more so, but he—he—he okay. he, he wasn't the cut. The kind of person who would get mean or obnoxious uh-huh. after drinking, and some people do. Sure, sure. But but he didn't, you know.
0: So how did it—but it changed him just to be even—amplify that friendliness even more so. Yeah, yeah. But in not in not reprehensible ways at
1: all. No, no.
0: Do you think—but do you think he was—so I guess it, because it did a really—it it amplified, it did a change who he was. He may not have been aware of that. Of that change. It's hard to know, I suppose. It's
1: it's hard to know. One of the things we know about alcohol is it it kind of narrows our perception and our focus. And so it's harder for us to be aware of peripheral things. And so, like, if if we're somebody who struggles with tactfulness, for mm -hmm. example, with alcohol, it kind of removes those barriers. And so then you, but the tactfulness
0: that you kind of struggle to maintain you lose it Mm -hmm. right yeah and so and and yeah again I'm just sort of in an area that I'm not as familiar with thank goodness but it just seems weird to me that if you do sort of become your personality does change for better or for worse that you don't Mm -hmm. that you're saying that a lot of people aren't always aware of that yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I and, yeah. and I'm not I'm not playing uh, dumb here on purpose. I guess I I just haven't really been around that all that much. Or if I have, I just assume and maybe assume wrongly that well, of course, this person knows when they have way too much to drink. This is how they behave. Yeah, and I guess and, maybe yeah, and
1: I'm not talking about somebody who gets tends yeah. to get really drunk. Sure, I sure. think yeah, but even then, <laughs> I I kind of wonder sometimes if people know. Like, how much? Because in those cases, you'll see people like when you're in a social setting, people will be looking at one another over somebody's behavior. And, yeah. Yeah. And in, in those sorts of situations, I think you definitely need to have a talk with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, and, and, and I kind of, de- and I guess then the last question I'll ask is that even going back to your direct question, if, if you're in a situation where you're, let's say you're often out with, uh, you said you're out with this friend and you notice this. Yeah. Let's say you're out as a couple and you and your wife both notice this, but, you know, this person's, he's there with his wife. And let's say she's, let's say she doesn't drink or doesn't act, you know, has a drink and seems the same. Clearly, she must be aware of this. At that point, yeah. do you sort of defer to her judgment or would you ever talk to her about it? Like, hey, I just really enjoy hanging out with you guys, but when Fred has too much to drink, or is, that a, is it weird to have that conversation with her instead of him?
1: No, I I think that's the same sort of thing. Um, if it's somebody that you know pretty well, mm-hmm. you
0: definitely have the discussion. Yeah. To, to it, me, it's awkward, me, but you do it. But to me, I mean, it's weird just talking this through. It To me, it would instinctively, and again, we're making up a scenario here, but it almost would seem easier to talk to, the spouse about it because that person... Yeah, that's what I meant yeah, in that yeah. case. You, yeah, you talk... You know, in that case, you talk to the
1: spouse about it first.
0: Yeah, because yeah. the spouse clearly has more experience with this and sees it more often and might say, oh, yeah, I, I've talked to Fred about this three times every week and he just doesn't listen. Well, he's probably not going to listen to you either, right? Yeah, yeah. But if it's like, well, yeah, I think if you said something to Fred, he may he respects you. He may really want to. That might be a good talk to have. Then I probably would. So I I don't know if it's wrong to use somebody like that as a as a buffer, but I probably would try.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and I just wanted to make clear, I'm not. I'm not bringing up a case where there's somebody who's an alcoholic, yeah. and you're confronting them about their alcoholism, yeah. You know, it's it's not. We're not talking about a drinking problem,
0: yeah, yeah. But you're just of, saying that you just en- talking about there's you a- enjoy being around Fred, and except when Fred has a drink or two, you, Fred's not the same guy you enjoy being around. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not sure we settled that, but that's okay. Yeah,
0: but I think it. But it's but it's you're right though that it's tricky to know. How close your relationship is, and how receptive people will be to input, is is can be a tricky situation. Maybe what you do is you just tackle them. Didn't we say we we're going to oh, tackle that dilemma? T- oh yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. you just tackle.
1: Is so, a like Fred? You're not very agreeable. I'm going to just tackle you and put an end to this behavior.
0: That with that, I don't know, Rick, if that is what one does if one if one's leading an ethical life.
1: Yeah, I think it is in football season. Definitely.
0: Super Bowl will be here before we know it. As a reminder, the Ethical Life podcast is a production of Lee Enterprises. Please subscribe to the Ethical Life on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. And if you've not yet heard enough about what Rick Kite thinks about things, be sure to check out his column on ethics, and that can be found on all Lee newspaper websites. For Rick Kite, I am Scott Rada. Thank you for joining us.